Welcome to Minnesota Matters. I'm Scott Peterson, and I'm joined by MNN's Bill Werner, Tasha Radel, and Mike Grimm. We're going to delve into what's going on in the North Star State. If it matters in Minnesota, we've got it covered. This week, Tasha explores mental health reforms in Minnesota. Mike Grimm gives us the inside scoop on the Gophers' upcoming Quick Lane Bowl. And I talk with Star Tribune film critic Colin Covert about what makes a holiday classic film a classic. But first, Minnesota has a new commissioner to head the state human services department after Governor Dayton last week appointed former Commissioner Lucinda Jessen to the Minnesota Court of Appeals. This week, the governor named her successor, Emily Johnson Piper, Dayton's deputy chief of staff and lead attorney in his office, becomes the new state human services commissioner. MNN's Bill Werner joins us with more. Scott, Lieutenant Governor Tina Smith, in announcing the appointment, said Piper will continue Jessen's commitment to reform and build on the progress of the last five years. The Department of Human Services is the state's largest agency with responsibility for helping Minnesota's most vulnerable residents, seniors, children, people with disabilities, help all these people reach their highest potential. And I know and the governor knows that Emily has the experience, the knowledge, and the skill, and maybe most important, the spirit of service that she needs to be an outstanding Commissioner of Human Services. Incoming Commissioner Piper calls it a tremendous opportunity to serve the people of Minnesota, particularly those who are most vulnerable. I remain committed to this administration and to the people of Minnesota to work my hardest to ensure that we make Minnesota a better place to live, work, support our loved ones, and care for those most in need. In preparation for today, I was reflecting on how fortunate I am to have the opportunity to directly serve so many of our state's neediest. From a very young age, my parents instilled in me the importance of giving back to our community. I can think of no better way to fulfill this social responsibility than to serve as Minnesota's Commissioner of Human Services. Piper was asked what she expects her biggest challenge will be. Operating the state's largest agency, there are many challenges. Um, You know, I... I think um, one of the most significant challenges facing us is the long-term financing of health care, and I look forward to serving on the health care financing task force and tackling some of those issues. I think more immediately, DHS, um, the department has some um, significant challenges in um, the um, way that uh, we run our state sex offender program. Um, We also have significant challenges in um, improving the way we provide services to people with disabilities. So I'm looking forward to tackling those issues head on as I take uh, the helm at the department. And what does incoming Human Services Commissioner Piper think her signature issue will be? I'm very passionate about improving the lives of people with disabilities. In the governor's office, I've been very focused on the state's implementation of our state Olmstead plan. I plan to continue that work as Commissioner of Human Services serving on the Olmstead subcabinet. Um, so that is one area that I am going to be very specifically focused on immediately. And what about Minsure, the embattled state-run health insurance marketplace? I think that we're still learning lessons from Minsure. I think Minsure is doing a lot better than it was. I think open enrollment um, has gone more slu- smoothly this time, this time around than it did the first time. Um, we can all acknowledge it had a rocky rollout. I think with Allison O'Toole's leadership and her continued now com- commitment to lead uh, Minsure, I think are all positive signs that we'll tackle those issues going forward head on. So I look forward to working with Allison and the other members of uh, the Minsure board. 
That's incoming State Human Services Commissioner Emily Johnson-Piper. Now for a view from the other side of the aisle, we talk to Senator Michelle Benson, Republicans' point person on the health care issue. Benson notes, I am on the Human Services Policy Division. That's where the confirmation, the recommendation to confirm or not to confirm would go forward. And I generally believe governors should get the appointments that they ask for if there are basic qualifications in place. And so I don't at this point anticipate a problem with his nominee, but I will say I am disappointed that there wasn't a broader search, a nationwide or even a statewide search. The governor um, seems to be in the habit of choosing those people who are closest to him and who are politically connected in some way. And with the very serious issues outstanding for the Department of Human Services, we need somebody absolutely top-notch, and that remains to be seen if Ms. Piper um, is of that caliber. I trust that the governor would appoint someone qualified, and so I will wait and see. I look forward to working with her in whatever way we can to resolve the very serious issues. Among those, I assume, are the uh, the concerns over Minsure and just in general health insurance? Well, the sex offenders program would be number one. It is uh, one of the most concerning issues uh, that the average Minnesotan doesn't have on their radar right now. And it's going to need to be dealt with quickly, effectively, and protecting public safety. And that will lie squarely with the new Commissioner of Human Services. Um, There are the Jensen and Olmstead settlements that could be very expensive if not handled well, but need to be done well. And, of course, um, Minsure, lack of interoperability with our plans, lack of interoperability with our counties, the cost and frustration isn't going away. And just the fact that the budget is so huge and so many people are dependent on this department, um, there's a lot of work to be done, and we need somebody who can be up to speed on day one. That's State Senator Michelle Benson. Scott, thank you, Bill. More Minnesota Matters in a minute. If your walls could talk, what would they say? I have held the same mirror for 13 years. I have been decorated with purple dinosaurs, baseball teams, and football helmets. I have witnessed 33 Thanksgiving dinners and one wedding proposal. I have tiny notches marking the growth of three children. I have caused a learning disability. I am the reason that a fifth grader simply can't sit still. I am responsible for a five-year-old's rage. Just because you can't see lead paint doesn't mean it's not on walls, doors, windows, and sills. Today, lead paint poisoning affects over 1 million children. If your home was built before 1978, your family could be at risk. Let's make all kids lead-free kids. Log on to leadfreekids.org or call 800-424-LED. I am the reason a child has trouble hearing. If your walls could talk, what would they say? Brought to you by the Coalition to End Childhood Lead Poisoning, EPA, HUD, and the Ad Council. Welcome back to Minnesota Matters. When it comes to mental health reform and initiatives, Minnesota is a nationwide leader in many areas. MNN's Tasha Radel explains. That's right, Scott. Minnesota's mental health community should be proud. Earlier this month, the Major County Sheriff's Association identified the Hennepin County Jail as a model facility for other sheriffs across the nation when it comes to helping inmates with mental illness and those at risk to reoffend. In recent weeks, members 
members of the MCSA have been touring the jail and learning about the integrated access team implemented by the Sheriff's Office in partnership with Hennepin County Human Services and the Public Health Department last year. Joining me now is Hennepin County Sheriff Rich Stanick. Sheriff, can you explain the IAT program? Sure, IAT stands for the Integrated Access Team, and, you know, the general purpose is to uh, take a look at who the offenders are that are coming into the Hennepin County Jail. Every year we book about thirty five to 40,000 people into the front doors. About one-third of them suffer from treated or untreated mental illness. And so, you know, many of these folks uh, need medical services, not necessarily detention services. And this seems like a pretty big uh, issue to to tackle. Where are we at right now with this program? Well, we've been underway for about a year, a collaborative effort between uh, Hennepin County Social Services, uh, the Hennepin County Medical Center, and uh, the Sheriff's Office trying to figure out a way in which to get these individuals the medical services they need when they suffer from mental illness. It's not to say they won't be held accountable for crimes they're alleged to have committed, you know, we have no problem with uh, with that. Uh, but in many cases, these people are repeat offenders and they cycle through the system because of their mental health needs, not necessarily because of their criminal behavior. And do you feel that this is something that, and maybe I'm putting words in your mouth, so if you don't want to answer, I'm sorry, um, has been maybe overlooked at too much over the years? No, I don't think it's been looked at enough. I mean, you look across the country and... Many of the uh, many of the sheriffs, jails, and detention facilities, you know, we run the largest mental health facilities anywhere in the state, and that's not the way this was set up. But there's no other place to put them, so local law enforcement ends up uh, booking them into jail for the offenses they committed. Sheriff Stanek, this has to be quite an honor for your department. We were very pleased. I mean, the Major County Sheriff's Association represents about the 75 largest counties and sheriff's offices across the country. They have looked to Hennepin County as a leader in this area of really taking uh, innovative ways to look at who exactly is in our jail and how to reduce that population. Again, not being soft on crime, but who exactly is coming into the jail and what's what's a medical issue that being mental health versus a criminogenic issue. Well, yeah, and if you can correct the mental health issue, maybe they won't become repeat offenders. Yeah, you know, yeah. I mean, many of these people are the most vulnerable people in society to begin with, and they deserve better than what, you know, the county or the state is doing for them. If you look at just the state of Minnesota as a whole, it has one of the lowest rates of beds to service those who suffer from mental illness anywhere in the country. There isn't anybody that would agree with that. But elected officials and others have to step up and invest the resources that are needed to help these people get the medical treatment. Putting them in jail is the simple answer, but it's not always the right answer. And shifting gears a little bit, also this week, the National Alliance on Mental Illness ranked Minnesota top in the nation, along with New York and Virginia, for reforms to its mental health system. Joining me now is NAMI Minnesota Executive Director Sue Abderholden. Sue, you said this ranking may be tough news for some Minnesotans. I don't understand. Why is that? You know, we really are one of the top states, and I know that that can be difficult for some people to hear knowing, you know, that we don't have full access to mental health services, that 
you know, we have a shortage of mental health professionals. But what the report really looked at is the steps that states are taking to improve their and build their mental health systems. And we have taken some really giant steps in that area. We have a long way to go. There's no question about it. But our state is moving in the right direction compared to other states. Sue, over the last five years or so, what do you feel is the single most significant thing Minnesota has done when it comes to mental health reform? Boy, that's a tough one. But I would say um, really increasing our investments up and down, you know, the array of services. You know, so if you have some states that only for example, built their mobile crisis teams but didn't do anything with supportive housing, you're only dealing with kind of that front door issue um, and not the back door issue. So I think that, I really think that's what Minnesota has done the best is that we've, you know, done the crisis teams, you know, we've added beds, um, we've looked at residential treatment, we've looked at employment, we've looked at housing, um, we've looked at all the different services that are necessary. We haven't just focused on one thing. And, you know, that takes, that's not easy to do, and we've done a good job with that. And moving forward, where do we go from here? Well, I know this may sound kind of odd, but because we do know what works and we have that foundation laid, we just need to continue to expand um, the services that we have. The only other new thing that I would throw in there is, um, and Minnesota was highlighted in the report for investing their own state dollars in what's called first episode programs. So making sure that we identify young people early when they're having their first psychotic episode and that we provide them with intensive services and help them get back to school or work. That really holds such promise from making sure that, you know, things like schizophrenia don't become a disabling condition. And, you know, right now we wait until someone essentially hits stage four. We wait until they've been in and out of the hospital, committed multiple times, maybe ended up in the criminal justice system but making sure that they get the intensive services in the beginning, not at the end. One in four adults and one in five children suffer from mental illness. If you or a loved one suffers from mental illness and are in need of assistance, go to NAMIHelps.org for more information. Again, that web address is NAMIHelps.org. Back to you, Scott. Thank you, Tasha. More Minnesota Matters after this. Who might you save? Your mother, your father, your husband, uncle, aunt, son. Learn fast. F-A-S-T. The sudden signs of a stroke and you could save. Your friend, your best friend, teacher, boss, coach. F. Face drooping. A. Arm weakness. S. Speech difficulty. T. Time to call 911. F-A-S-T. Face, arm, speech, time. That's F. Face drooping. A. Arm weakness. S. Speech difficulty. T, time to call 911. The sooner they get to the hospital, the sooner they'll get treatment. And that can make a remarkable difference in the recovery of your neighbor, the waiter, a fellow shopper, a total stranger, grandmother, grandfather. So learn FAST, the sudden signs of a stroke, then pass it on because you never know who might save you. Your wife, your colleague, teammate, mother. Spot a stroke fast. Visit strokeassociation.org. Brought to you by the American Stroke Association and the Ad Council. Mr. Detweiler, it's time to wake up, Mr. Detweiler. Hey, Mr. Detweiler, how are we doing? Your surgery is over. Oh, it's over? What happened? Hi, Mr. Detweiler. Dr. Newman here. You have a new knee. It went great. You'll be up and around before you know it. And it's all because of you. 
what did I do? You were captain of Team Detweiler. You told us everything we needed to know. Your medical history, your allergies and prescription meds. You asked me tons of questions. What your options to surgery might be, what to expect during recovery. You even asked me how many knee replacements I've already done. Huh. I guess I did kind of run the whole operation, didn't I? Mr. Detweiler, we couldn't have done it without you. Patient safety. It takes a team. And patient involvement is key. A public service message from the American Academy of Orthopedic Surgeons. With more tips at orthoinfo.org slash patient safety. Welcome back to Minnesota Matters. The Golden Gopher football team finished the regular season with a 5-7 and seven record, one win shy of qualifying for a bowl game. However, because there were not enough bowl-eligible teams to fill out the 80 postseason positions, a handful of five-win clubs were invited to games. The invitations were based on each school's academic progress rate, which means Minnesota's high rank was enough to get them into the Quick Lane Bowl in Detroit, Michigan on Monday, December 28th against Central Michigan. MNN Sports Director Mike Grimm is also the radio voice of Golden Gopher football. And Mike, despite a less-than-stellar regular season, the Gophers now begin preparation for this game with practices starting this weekend. That's right, Scott. And now the question becomes, can this team buy in for this game and be committed in practices this month to get ready? Junior quarterback Mitch Leitner of Lakeville, Minnesota, says they will be ready. Very excited. Definitely uh, you know, a lot of questions from last week going into this week, You know, only being a five-win team. But getting this opportunity is definitely uh, it's an exciting time for everybody on the team. As you uh, finish that Wisconsin game, how much can this be a little bit to help you get that taste out of your mouth? You got something now to look to here? Yeah, definitely. It gives us an opportunity to play another game, You know, get that taste out of our mouth, and, uh, and then look forward to next season as well. Is there something, too, where you weren't sure, as you mentioned, whether you'd make it or not, to now have to re-energize and refocus? Because there's probably a thought that it might be done for 2015. And, and how quickly do you have you and your teammates have to buy into the idea that, yeah, there's another game? Yeah, I think uh, throughout the course of last week, I think, you know, early on in the week, guys really didn't know and were unsure, and a lot of guys were checked out at that point. And, and then throughout the week, the more news you get, uh, you know, the more guys start wondering. And then, uh, you know, by the end of the week, it's like, yeah, you better buy in because we have basically a 99% chance of going to a bowl game. And then I think once the newest clicked, you could tell the excitement in the team room today. I could see where maybe a, a senior could go either way. Yeah, I mean, I think with you as a junior, you know you got another year. A senior could say, boy, I'm done, or this is one last chance. How do you think most of your senior teammates are going to take this challenge? Yeah, well, I, I mean, last week, you know, before we really knew for sure, I'd say it was about a 50-50 thing. You know, some guys ready to move on, some whether it's the NFL or just be, move on to regular uh, life. But, uh, you know, now that we have the opportunity, you can definitely tell, and the guys had talked about it as well, that they're bought in, and it's another opportunity to play with each other. And, you know, guys figure if they look back in 10 years and, and didn't get this opportunity to play, they, they would hate themselves. So they're, they're excited about it. Last question for you. Everyone talks about the additional practices, and now some people, ah, is it really that big of a deal in real life? How big are these extra practices? It, they are huge. They're huge, especially for young guys. You know, I remember when I was redshirted and the opportunities I got during these bowl practices to be able to scrimmage against guys who are also being redshirted. It, it gave me an opportunity to prove myself and really when spring ball came, I hit the ground running. And so it's a, it's a huge, it's huge for scout team guys to be able to learn the offense again and be able to perform, you know, our offensive plays. So you know, I'm excited for those guys. Enjoy the next month. Thank you. 
That's quarterback Mitch Leidner of the Gophers. His teammate, sophomore tight end Brandon Lingen of Wyzetta, Minnesota, says they aren't going to turn away the chance to play another football game, and they indeed will be ready. It's another opportunity to strap up the pads and get better. Um, you got to get that bad taste of Wisconsin out of our mouth. I'm excited to uh, start preparing for Central Michigan. You guys knew that this was a possibility here for a little while. Um, what have you been doing kind of in the meantime to try to stay at least a little bit sharp, I suppose, in shape, right? Yeah, working out a little bit. And uh, as far as like all the speculation of if we are or aren't, I mean, can't worry about what we can't control. So just trying to focus on what I can control as far as staying in shape. And um, if the opportunity presented itself as it did, uh, try to be ready for it. What um, what kind of things now from here until the bowl game? We always hear everyone talk about the importance of the extra practices and all of that. Is there is that real life? I mean, does that help? Yeah, especially last year, um, learned a lot in these uh, extra bowl practices. I mean, they are a huge help, and um, just to keep timing down and just uh, continue uh, developing relationships with the guys and getting comfortable with everyone that's out there. Yeah, they're, they're a very big deal. You guys, you mentioned the Wisconsin game. Get that taste out of your mouth. It was a disappointing loss. There was some doubt as to whether you'd make a bowl game given the situation. I mean, has it been a quick buy-in for you and your teammates now to, to get this last chance? Yeah, no, we're all very excited. Um, obviously, the Wisconsin game didn't go as we wanted it to, but um, it's an opportunity, as I said, to get it out of our mouth and uh, move on. You have had a really good season, certainly uh, once you got healthy. Uh, you've had uh, you got some accolades in terms of all Big Ten, in terms of your academics. Um, what's this season, even though you know the, the win-loss record maybe is not where you wanted uh, for you personally, though, uh, with the progress you've made? Uh, it's been a lot of fun. Um, I've worked very hard, um, and it's cool to see some of these things wear off. Uh, but that being said, there's a lot i got to do to keep continuing to be better, and I can't take credit for all of it. There's an incredible supporting staff here at the university and my family um, that have helped me do everything that, I, that I've been able to do this year, and without them, none of that would be achieved. So um, it's very cool, a lot of work to do, and uh, can't take credit for it all. Very good. Enjoy the month ahead. Thank you very much. That's Gopher Brandon Lingen of Wyzetta. This is the fourth consecutive bowl game for the Golden Gophers, who have not won a postseason ball game since beating Alabama in the 2004 Music City Bowl in Nashville. Minnesota's lost its last seven bowl games, including last year's New Year's Day appearance in the Citrus Bowl in Orlando. Missouri beat the Gophers that day. In all, Minnesota's been to 17 previous bowl games with a 5-12 record in those encounters. For Gopher fans wanting to attend the Quick Lane Bowl in the Motor City, tickets are available at mygophersports.com. The game will be played at Ford Field. That's the indoor stadium of the NFL Detroit Lions. Scott? Thanks, Mike. More Minnesota Matters after this. As a young teenage boy, I didn't even know what autism was. How do you even spell that? A few years later, I heard that a friend's cousin's son had been diagnosed with autism. I still wasn't sure what that really meant. When I went to college, my roommate's brother had autism. When I moved to the city for work, my best friend called me and told me his son had been diagnosed with autism. We were both in shock. I still remember the day I walked into the house and saw that look on my wife's face. I knew something was wrong. I'll never forget how I felt when she said, our son has autism. Autism is getting closer to home. Today, one in 110 children is diagnosed with autism. That's a 600% increase in the last 20 years. Learn the signs at AutismSpeaks.org. Early diagnosis can make a lifetime of difference. Brought to you by Autism Speaks and the Ad Council. I'm singing, I'm in a store, and I'm singing, I'm in a store, and I'm
stop singing! Hey! There's no singing in the North Pole. Yes, there is! No, it's not. We sing all the time! No, it's not! Especially when we make toys! Welcome back to Minnesota Matters. I'm Scott Peterson. You may recognize that as a scene from Elf starring Will Ferrell. This week, I'm in the holiday movie-watching spirit, and I spoke with Star Tribune film critic Colin Covert. Now, we are heading into the holidays here, so I thought, who better to talk to than a movie reviewer about what makes a movie a holiday classic? So can I just get your thoughts on that? Is there one thing in particular? Well, I mean, obviously the focus, they have to be, you know, seasonally uh, appropriate. There has to be a Santa Claus, there has to be snow, there has to be probably a family in it, uh, because that's the stuff that we all deal with this time of year. And uh, But beyond that, it, it takes a certain degree of quality and, uh, and creativity. It can't just be the same old thing uh, that we've seen uh, many, many times before. And that is something that uh, we're dealing with quite a lot in today's market. You know, a lot of, lot of sort of, you know, B-minus at best movies about families that are trying to overcome their, uh, their dysfunctions. And boy, they sure get together for a hug at the Christmas table. You know, we've, we've seen that one a lot. The ones that are new, fresh, you know, have uh, surprising uh, insights, those are the ones that we're really excited about. You know, watching holiday films over and over again each year has become uh, kind of its own holiday tradition, and I'm wondering how and when did that begin? Well, I don't when did it begin is a good question. I mean, you could go back to, like, I think it's a wonderful life, the uh, uh, Jimmy Stewart movie that was uh, brought out in uh, the, the mid 1940s, and that was you know one of the first ones that made a big a big splash in our uh, in our memories. Just remember this, Mr. Potter, that this rabble you're talking about, they do most of the working and paying and living and dying in this community. Well, is it too much to have them work and pay and live and die in a couple of decent rooms and a bath? Anyway, my father didn't think so. People were human beings to him, but to you, a warped, frustrated old man, they're cattle. Well, in my book, he died a much richer man than you'll ever be. It's become really popular in the last 10 or 20 years, though. They've become almost uh, almost unavoidable. And, uh, you know, why did that happen? I think it's because people figured out that uh, there's, a, there's a good way to market these things. You know, when we have uh, relatives uh, visiting, uh, maybe sometimes from out of town, we're looking for ways to keep them entertained for a couple of days at our house. Taking them out to a movie is a pretty good way to help pass that time. Provided it's a good movie. Ralphie, what would you like for Christmas? Horrified. I heard myself blurt it out. I want an official Red Rider Carbon Action 200 Range Ball Air Rifle. Ooh. No. Shoot your eye out. Where do you stand on the more modern classic Christmas story? Well, that is a, that is a, a huge, huge favorite of mine. It's, uh, it, it's, it's uh, sort of set in the 1950s. It's uh, uh, the recollection of a guy uh, trying to uh, uh, tell a story about uh, what his childhood Christmas was like. And it's, I think it's absolutely hilarious. And uh, I think largely because it doesn't hugely depend on Christmas. It depends on, you know, a, a winter season visit to this family that, uh, uh, like all of our families, doesn't work perfectly, but, but somehow they, uh, they manage to uh, uh, make it through the, the uh, catastrophes that they set up in a, in a very funny way. So I, I think that's, that's, that's really a, an absolute gem. And Colin, we've been talking about some pretty well-known Christmas classics, and I'm wondering if there are some hidden gems that you're aware of that maybe our listeners haven't heard of before or aren't as familiar with. Well, um, you know, I, I guess I would mostly go for movies that that did well enough to be uh, successful because that that indicates that they did something right. But there might be movies that people don't think of as a as, as a as a classic or or a you know a, a film that they must revisit. 
But, um, you know, I would say uh, the Will Ferrell movie Elf, I think, is absolutely tremendous. You know, that's that's just uh, uh, delightful. Um, I guess um, uh, actually there's a there's, there's a, a British ensemble romance that centers around uh, Christmas called Love Actually that I think is is very very good. It's uh, it, it's it's uh, less about the holiday season than, uh, than than a whole bunch of people who are looking for love and human uh, contact. I I think that's certainly a sidebar everybody's Christmas. You know, I, I want to, for the most part, stay positive on this, but I do have to ask as a film critic, what is, in your opinion, the most overrated of the holiday classic films? Oh, the most overrated of the holiday classic films. That is a tough one. Um, one that's probably, you know, very low on my list would be uh, Dr. Seuss, How the, How the Grinch Stole Christmas. I, I thought that there was very little in that that made it worthwhile. It was an extremely expensive production with uh, Jim Carrey, and uh, you know, I thought it was—I uh, thought it fell far short of uh, you know either being faithful to uh, Dr. Seuss or expanding it in an interesting way. All right, and so we we got the the bad one out of the way, and I'm hoping as we wrap things up here, Colin, you can tell me what is your personal favorite holiday film and why. My personal favorite holiday film. Holy mackerel! You you got a, a hard one there. Well, I I think the one that I that I saw earliest that made the coolest impression on me is one that most people don't think of as a holiday film, but it does take place at Christmas, and that's Gremlins. Um, it's a it's a terrific, terrific science fiction, you know, absurdist parody comedy, and uh, it's something that people have, have, have been in love with for uh, more than 30 years now. Um, I, I like to view it and review it and uh, remind myself that, boy, it's really a lot, a lot funnier and a lot more violent than I thought when I saw it the first time. Look, Daddy, teacher says... That's right. That's right. I'm a white That's going to do it for this week. Thanks for listening, and please tune in again next week for Minnesota Matters on this MNN station.